renewable energy system is undergoing a huge transition, with the costs of renewable energy becoming more competitive versus traditional sources, along with increased public awareness and pressure. Renewable energy is becoming the mainstream energy source for many, no longer an alternative just for the progressive few. Listen each week as Brant Handley and Christian Crown, founding partners of Renew Executive Search, interview renewable energy and sustainability experts that are not only making a difference to the environment, but are also growing successful businesses. Listen and learn about what attracted these experts to renewables, why they've stayed in the sector, and how they are helping renewable companies create a better tomorrow. We know you'll enjoy these stories as much as Brandt and Christian enjoyed recording them. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are looking forward to you joining us as we dive deeper on how renewables are going mainstream. Today's guest is Iron Lowe. Iron Lowe is the CEO and founder of Adura Sustainable Rubber, an advanced materials company building a circular economy for the waste, tire and rubber industry. Prior to Aduro, Iron was the project finance investment banker with Piper Jaffa. He focused on financing power plants and designed manufacturing facilities that incorporated new renewable and sustainable technologies. Before that, Ian started his career at JP Morgan, becoming the global financial controller for the power and gas business. And he received his MBA from NYU Stern. Welcome to today's podcast, Ian. Thanks, Christian. How are you? Great. Could you start by telling a bit about yourself? Sure. My name's Ian Lowe. I'm, I'm the CEO of Arduro Sustainable Rubber for Long, but in, in short, we call it Arduro. It's a little of a tongue twister. We are a, advanced, a clean tech advanced manufacturing company in which has developed a technology that enables us to recycle the 1.5 or help us recycle the 1.5 billion tires we dispose of annually back into its uh, primary materials, things like rubber and, and carbon black material. People probably don't know, but is widely used in today's society. How do you get into that space? My journey, well, my journey is quite varied. Um, <laughs> I, I originally come out of a, a finance background, um, but it really, for me, started back in high school. And, I, and I'm going to date myself and go go a little bit further back. But I originally took an AP environmental exam class, which really started me down the pathway of renewability and sustainability. But at that kind of age group, you don't even know where you're going with it. it. It's just kind of an idea. And this is kind of in the beginning of when solar panels and wind turbines really started to become a little bit more mainstream. So it was an exciting time from a technology standpoint. Um, to develop and kind of see those things occur. So progressed through my career, ended up joining JP Morgan Chase in their commodities division. We were the one of the largest physical assets uh, trading businesses in the world at that time. Mm -hmm. And a part of that was that we, we had a whole host of physical assets, including oil and gas, power, but most importantly, uh, uh, sustainability. We, we owned a number of wind turbine farms and, and, and solar panels and also finance a number of those uh, early, early uh, energy production, renewable energy production facilities. Mm -hmm. And then I transitioned into what was my, my project financing. And our, our practice specifically focused on renewability and, and sustainability and power. Um, there's a quirk in the U.S. tax code, which enables 
if you qualify as waste to to become tax exempt. So I know it's it's a weird quirk, but it it enables things like uh, landfill gas, waste to energy, waste tires to carbon black to to be produced. Uh, And it gives you a financial advantage. And and we also did things like tax equity. Long winded answer. But to say, you know, uh, I I came up the finance train in, in the sustainability pathway. Oh, fantastic. What sort of attracted you to it? Because how, how long have you been going now? I've been going for quite a number of years, man. Yeah, so it's been, been about a decade now, a little over a decade in sustainability. What, what attracted me really was that original sustainability class. It was kind of hard to figure out what the pathway was. And so for your listeners that are, are a little bit younger, right, you know, stay the course. There are a lot of different different uh, pathways to get there and development cycles to be able to get there. But you know, I kind of had to wander wander through finance to figure out what what really suited me, and then get more focus as I would I became more senior. And you also have a bit of circular economy in it, right? When you sort of recycle it, uh, how does that go? Was it complicated with the whole supply chain or circular economy is a is a very unique su- uh, supply chain because it's twofold, right? You know, you're also trying to manage your your customers and their products, right? And, the, and they want something that looks like a, in our, in our case, an oil derived product, but you're getting it from a, a waste stream, right? And, and so trying to figure out and manage the input materials or, or feedstock from that waste stream is challenging to say the least. A part of our business, we try to address the waste tire, um, the global waste tire problem. As I mentioned before, uh, globally, we dispose of about 1.5 billion tires. And a lot of these tires, at least where I live in the United States, only 80% of them reach desired waste stream. And that includes going to landfills, unfortunately. 20% of them end up in places they shouldn't. So I used to live in Philadelphia. And we had a large tire fire, which actually partially burnt down one of the uh, highways. Um, as a result, but that's the kind of scenarios that that occurs, and you know, in every state and every country, tire fires are pretty pretty significant risk to to local uh, local communities. So, we additionally try to help local communities in, in solving their tire waste problems as well. But it all goes towards you know providing a, a high quality end product, which I think is the, the great great advantage of being a you know circular economy business is is taking you know it's that old old adage you know. Uh, one man's waste, another man's treasure, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> try to try to actually make it, it true. <laughs> and, and yeah, and actually make it true. And, and part of the way we looked at it is, you know, technology is really going to lead that pathway forward. Um, you really need some some pretty critical advancements in technology and new companies to really bridge that gap because the companies that have been there previously generally have been focused on one of the two segments. Either they are the technology leader in the products that they produce or they're really good at, you know, disposing of waste in that context, you know, and we really sit somewhere in the middle where we're both good at figuring out how we dispose of waste, but also creating, you know, world-class products on the back end as well. So it's a unique concept or unique in the, in the context of circular economy businesses that our businesses tend to, you know, you need to be a little bit more jack of all trade. I hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's true of most, you know, renewable renewable businesses in general. You know, you, 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 there's a lot more thinking around how to solve problems that haven't been done before, right? And so, you got to be a little bit more flexible and, and a little bit more understanding around how, how sustainable works. And 
as you kind of mentioned, you know, supply chains, input supply chains are a big, big aspect of what you need to understand. So how much do you process? So you, you, you get the tires through, through the communities or, or trying to sort of avoid things, go to landfill or ending up in the wrong places? And Yeah, so tires, tires are unique or, or, or especially interesting, at least to me. <laughs> <laughs> Something like 80% of our tires go into what we'll call the formalized disposal method. And, and that's generally in OECD countries where you've got higher regulations and you can't just dispose them on, you know, anywhere. Once it kind of enters the supply chain, it goes a couple of different routes. Now, most people, and I'm going to try to limit to passenger tires to make it as, you know, relatable as possible, but there are a number of other tires because you think of those big mining tires all the way to your truck tires and so forth. But if you're a passenger, usually you end up going to a mechanic shop or or a a, um, car dealership and you get a replacement tire. Well, that's really where the, the process starts. We partner with those type of mechanic dealerships and, and, and tire mechanics and, and car dealerships and receive the tires from them directly off of your car. And that's where it really starts the supply chain. Um, and that's contrasted to some of the other uh, disposal methods that, that have occurred. Usually, or there's a large portion of our tires, at least in the United States, that go for uh, tire drive fuel. Another way of mm. saying is that they're recovered we do some sustainability in the sense that we recover the thermal, um, some of the thermal renewability out of the tires as a, as a heat source, either for power or as a heat source for cement kilns uh, to dry the cement. But this is an example as an alternative um, to, to that, trying to go to not what we'll call the, the initial recycling. I think that's one of the more interesting things that's, that's occurring um, today is that, you know, the, the last 20 or 30 years have been on kind of, can we find just alternative markets for our waste? And now it's starting to transition um, to, can we go back into the original products that they were in, in, in a much more focused way? And that's why I think you see a lot more technologies uh, coming out specifically to address that issue. How do you process them? Are you making it into new tires, uh, weight, energy, or? Yeah, so we, our, our process is, a, is generally a, a chemical aqueous process, Another, which is a fancy word of saying we use a chemical, um, proprietary chemical to break down the tires uh, and not to get overly technical, but you know, we break but down. Just the, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little bit. You know, we break down the sulfur cross links, um, which enables us to basically, uh, and I call it explode, but, but, you know, Separate out the 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 subcomponents being rubber and and carbon black, and then through our process recapture those and then sell those products back at the same kind of similar similar quality as they originally were put into those tires. Um, so from a technical standpoint, you know its processes are unique um, mm. in that context, but we try to use pre-existing machinery that that industrial um, manufacturers have used for 50, 100 years. So try not to re- reinvent the wheel if you can. Too much. <laughs> yeah, way too much. That's very interesting. So what are some of the, the core obstacles? Uh, how is it being perceived both from the supply chain, from the individual dealerships to all the way through to your, to your customers? Yeah, so I'll start with the, the original supply chain. You know, one of the things that our, our suppliers generally downstream of us and this is probably true of most recyclers, is they're just looking to get rid of waste, right? You know, a, a tire mechanic shop is not a waste disposal expert. They don't really know, but they what they are concerned about is that one, it it meets the 
you know, the local or federal uh, regulatory requirements for waste disposal. And then two, it's not originally expensive because that directly impacts their customers. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we are extremely mindful of that and, and, and try to work with our, our waste partners or our, our waste disposers on, on how to best do that, reducing costs for them, whether that's in transportation or general logistics or storage, and trying to really help their end customer understand that they've got a part to play um, in that context. On, on the flip side, for us, I think, you know, as I mentioned before, we're kind of in what we'll call the second generation of, of recyclability, where there's just a more, there's a larger focus. And I think, not that it wasn't there originally, but I, I think technology is advanced enough. And I think we understand enough that we're trying to go back into original products. It's pretty difficult. I think that that's, that's what you find. You know, we've mm-hmm. been talking about plastics recycling for, I don't know, <laughs> till my entire lifetime. Um, but too long. Yeah. Too, it, it, but, you know, I think we're starting to finally get there where you can get plastics to go back into true plastics at the original form with, with very little degradation. And and I'm not talking about the, you know, you know, you, you see the little triangles and you see the little numbers, you know, there, there's certain plastics that have, that are more susceptible to, to being recycled versus others. Is, is that driven by, and sorry for jumping in, but sort of, yeah. The original product, the original tire being re-engineered to be better recycled, or is it recycling techniques or technologies that are improving? Or combination of everything, it really is. I, I okay. think there's, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have to applaud the the tire manufacturers that they, I think it was in the late '90s, set up um, you know collective organization to try to address the problem. You know, I, I mean, which is great foresight uh, on their part in trying to not only say, okay, how can we design our products to be recycled, but also look for recycled products themselves um, in that process. And, you know, it's really, it's interesting because it's really the consumers, the end consumer that that's driving, uh, I think, a lot of the, the demand for these changes, um, which is why you're seeing a lot of ESG um, programs and um, projects starting to get really get more traction is that they're and consumer says, I want sustainability, but I want it at the same cost. You know, how do we do that? And, and, and it really drives, I think, a lot of innovation forward um, from both a technical, like in our scenario, but also more broadly business case. You know, h- how do we look even in our own, you know, do how much paper do we use? How much ink do we use? Can we do things more digitally um, in that context and just our own everyday processes? What about sort of through your process and towards your end consumers and clients? Is there is it a selling point for them that this is sort of part of the circular economy? This is part of a sustainable production method. Are you reusing waste, or do they just want a product? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a little both. Um, depending on who you're talking about, some are more some are more extremely enthusiastic. So rubber is a little bit unique, right? They they generally have had an, a concept of recycled rubber. Um, for a long time, yeah. right? It, it, and that usually is things where, okay, it, it, it's in the mill and you're cutting something off the side and that rubber, even though it's vulcanized, it's fallen off kind of in, in the process of, of creating your end product, but that rubber's still viable, right? Like you just don't waste that material. So that recycled rubber um, still gets reintegrated into a lot of products. So I think for us, it's it's also kind of educa- educating our, our our consumer around and our customer around you know the differences in, in what's come before. Like they, they generally 
understand the concept of recycling rubber, right? It's a it's a cost reductive measure. Is don't waste materials that you've already bought. I mean, why why pay for it twice? Um, but but there's there's also the 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 component to it which which gets into quality, um, which are yeah. our, our products. You know, once you kind of vulcanize things, right? And and you see this a lot in some of the earlier recycling um, methods, right? Where you're shredding old tires down into kind of like crumb rubber. And sort of gluing it the back old old scene. Yeah, exactly. That you're you're trying to remix it that way. Well, one of the hmm. issues that generally from a technical standpoint uh, comes about there is that you, you don't really get the physical or dynamic characteristics that you did from the original rubber, right? It, it, and, and that's a problem, right? It, it, so it means that you know if, if you've got something that is high product liability, you can't just switch something that's got no physical characteristics. It, it really just becomes a filler. Um, where our technology kind of differs in that context is that, you know, it, it gets you back to the exactly the same point that you started as. So even though, you know, you, you, you put in, for example, styrene butene rubber or natural rubber into your product, our process spits back out, you know, styrene butene rubber, natural rubber, where it's essentially indistinguishable from the oil derived product that you originally put in. So in that context, right, you know, it, it enables you to take something that is completely sustainable um, in the, in this in the standpoint that you're re- reusing the same materials over and over and over again. And now we're still in the process of testing how many times we can reuse it, but you know, we've got some fairly positive indications that will be somewhere in the kind of thermoplastic range. So, you know, four to six times um, we'll be able to run that same material through our process through, at its end of life. Okay, before it starts degrading sort of quality. Before you start seeing, yeah, some initial degradation in, in the in the characteristics. But you know, that's a pretty big shift in, 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 in thought. You know, most people change their tires every two to three years. Um, each tire, usually, it, when you produce a tire, it's 80 pounds of CO2, and then usually at 80 pounds of CO2, and then usually, at, like I said before, a lot, a lot of tools, so you're adding an additional 60 uh, pounds of CO2. So, you know, that 160 pounds of CO2, you know, it seems fairly small, Per tire, but when you kind of equate it against the 1.5 billion tires, <laughs> yeah, that need to be disposed of annually, right? It, it, that it becomes a, a much bigger problem from a CO2 perspective. And if we can help kind of divert that to 12, 15, 20 years of, of sequestering within our tire before it actually has to, you know, be released, I, I think that's a big win for us uh, in, in terms of shifting our, our carbon footprint without really compromising on the quality. Um, aspect of the material up front. And I think that that's where I think more broadly the industry shift has occurred is that, you know, you gotta, you gotta get back to the same quality. It's it's really difficult if if you can't, if you can't do that, or at least something that, you know, has more physical and dynamic characteristics for for the clients. Fantastic. Is there something that your clients have to overcome that sort of not having a thinking about it as a quality degradation? Well I I, I think it's more a part of, of quality control. I think the, the yeah. general kind of context of it is that all, all most manufacturers today, uh, I, I can't say for all of them, but most manufacturers today have some, some version of quality control, right? And so they just can't accept products that, are, that don't fit their quality control measures or fit their own end customer's needs. So from that context, right? Now, not that they don't want to add in sustainable products, but you know, I- again, they're not used to it. There is some of it that some just haven't used it before. But like I said, 
they've used recycled rubber, so they have some familiarity with it, but it can only go so far, right? Mm. Until you start degrading the the broader mix, right? You you, you can't have something that's 100%, you know, no characteristics and, and hope that it still performs the same thing that originally had those characteristics. It's just not possible. So that's where a lot of the quality control measures come in from, from our customers around how do you add these products? What's the appropriate, you know, formulation uh, in that context and, and really better understanding how the how they work within the machinery. Um, you know, what, that's one of the kind of unique things about materials markets is that you know, it, it also has to go through a manufacturing process. And, and even though, you know, it, it, it works, right, you still have to address, okay, well, how does the machine handle this product? Um, and all of, and address how, how does the industry generally accept it? So, for example, carbon black is pelletized, right? You know that's not its natural form, or you know post post production form. It usually is a kind of more powdery um, than it is something else. But you know to make it you know machine worthy or acceptable, you have to ad- address those issues, and then that's a lot working with your customers around how do you integrate with them uh, in terms of supplying them actual finished product. Um, and them understanding how to even, you know, physically work with the product um, on this the second time around. Where do you see this uh, technology in the future? Do you think it's be a wider adoption? So, or how long before we sort of see? Well, I hope I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I've worked with a lot of companies. And having founded Arturo, you know, I've worked with a lot of companies that are in this kind of second generation that are looking to address the broader. issues around sustainability and really get into that second level of uh, circular economy where you're going back into a lot more end use end use uh, products. So I, I, I think, and, and part of it, big portion of it is cost, right? Can you make something cost competitive uh, and still provide the attributes while making it circular? I think that's where the, the the paradigm shift is occurring, and I think that's where I think our our pro and I'll speak specifically about Arduro. Our, our Duro's process is is cost competitive. Um, our our process primarily uses everyday chemicals, um, which we know are safe because technically you you drink some portion of our chemicals every day. It's a it's a large kind of water treatment um, chemical process. In that context, you know, I, I think that's where. For us, we, we've spent a lot of time focusing on, you know, internal pro- process cost reductions because we know that you, we can't be two times, three times more expensive than today's product. You know, the, the, our, our customers, one, won't accept it and, and our end, their end customers surely won't accept it in, in, in the price differential. I mean, could you imagine your entire just being, you know, 200 or two or three times more expensive and just saying it was sustainable. I mean, most people don't even fill it's their tires It's a difficult today. one to buy. It right. is. You know, the people tend to be more price sensitive um, than businesses. But, you know, if the end consumer can't really find the value, it's a really hard you know, concept if you're further down the value chain to 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 make that value proposition to to your end customers because they need to make it to that ultimate end customer whether that's OEM or or you know B2C they need to see the value and so that's why I, I think the second generation kind of figured that out that you have to be cost competitive or conversely really show a lot of value add to the end consumer and I think 
customers more broadly uh, just are buying more sustainable products. And you can look across the board of some of the sustainable brands that have kind of popped up over the years um, that people value it. So, I mean, I think there's a value proposition there, but you know, you still need to still need to be keep an eye on the. Still need to be in range. <laughs> yeah, still need but to be in range. You're back, sort of where you're roughly cost competitive. Yes. Or getting close to being. Yeah. No, we're we're back to being cost competitive. We're in the process right now That's of fantastic. actually. We we built the pilot plant. Um, in Louisville, Kentucky, and then we're in the process now of kind of expanding our our manufacturing footprint and, and building a a small commercial plant. Um, and we're in the process of of doing the development work there. And we anticipate you know Q three Q four this year starting. Depending on COVID, you know that's that's kind of the <laughs> big uh, of outlier here. Uh, depending on COVID, being able to put a shovel in ground and, and, and start construction. And, and a part of it too, you know, we've taken a slightly different different approach. Um, in terms of how we even design our, our our plants, they're really meant to be skids, so they're a lot more flexible in in their ability to be manufactured off site and delivered, and then scaling them up fairly quickly. So we're pretty excited about the opportunity to to <laughs> to go to a little bit larger scale. So you're there on cost. Sort of, you talked about this. That's quite a bit of CO two emissions going into a, a normal tie and a normal recycling process. How much CO two have you calculated that sort of? Will you be able to save on it? Yeah, so it really, you know, it's it's on. I generally think about it on a tire basis. Yeah, but it's it's around 180 pounds of CO two per tire. Per um, tire. Per wow, tire. That's a lot. So our our demo, and just to give you just relative magnitude of scale, you know, our, our demonstration plant will recycle around 125,000 tires a year. That's essentially our smallest scale mm-hmm. plant possible. When we get to even our medium-sized plant, which is what we'll call a, a general commercial accept, uh, acceptance, right? We'll be, I think it's thirty-two metric tons per day. Um, which I, I got to think about the math on that. You know, you're talking about almost a million tires uh, a wow. year directly in that one plant, and so you know. But the the scale of the problem is quite large, right? It, 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 there yeah, are one point five billion tires that need to be disposed of globally. Um, so, you know, we've, we've, there are a lot of tires, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of tires, a lot of disruption needing to happen to, to, to get that through. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I think you're seeing that across the renewability space, especially if you're in materials, right. Uh, um, similarly like power, right. I mean, it's just more broadly, you, you kind of have to be at that industrial scale to really make a dent. You know, it, it's gotta, the processes and I, the processes have to work at that scale. But well, the problem is is on an industrial scale, right? And, and that's it, right? You can't create a process that works for you know one or two tires or, or one or two plastic bottles. It just doesn't, you know, it's not going to move the needle, right? So you know, our, our our scale is really at the you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of metric tons a day of of tires that need to be recycled, um, which equates to you know millions and millions of tires. Uh, a day being recycled. So, you know, <clears throat> I, I think from that standpoint, we're we're on the pathway. I think there are a lot of technologies that I've seen that are they're kind of on that pathway. But yeah, it's it's going to take us some time. Yeah, manufacturing plants don't just pop up. You know, I think that's the big differential that we've seen. Um, you know, in comparison, that it takes you know, time. It takes time. Digital economies. You know, you can flip the switch tomorrow. You know, it, it still takes me six months to build a a small manufacturing plant, which is our smallest scale. Right, and, and that's using you know the most you know, advanced you know manufacturing construction processes and pre-existing equipment. Uh, just a different, it's a different beast if you want to address some of these physical um, materials problems that we have. 
which mainly are the ones that you see in the landfill, right? <laughs> if it goes yeah. to the landfill, that's what we're trying to trying to get it not there. Fantastic. Well, it sounds really exciting what you're sort of moving the technology and moving the needle on the waste problem and making the, the, the whole system, pushing the sustainability agenda. As you know, sort of at David New Executive Search, we work with a lot of clients and candidates globally who are looking to, to grow their businesses and careers. Um, what kind of qualifications do you see are needed to succeed in this space? Yeah, you know, as we kind of started off talking about it, it, yeah, we did a little it, bit. A little bit, yeah. It, it, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades, right? It, at the end yeah. of the day, right? Agile. You, you, you do need to be agile. It's, it's a good word because you have to understand so many. It, renewability is complex in the, in, the, in the standpoint that, you know, it's it's certain portions, it's extremely government dependent, right? So you need to be fairly up to date on the local or regional um, regulatory environment. Right. Depending on what you're working in, right, whether that's power or materials, you need to understand the, the the pricing model. So you need to generally understand the econometrics of what's going on in those businesses. Um, on top of that, right, you're you're fighting legacy legacy technologies. So yeah, if you're going, we used legacy, to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so they're used to doing that. So you have to overcome that kind of expertise, you know, advantage. So if you're looking in a career. And, and, and two, right? A lot of our technologies we're talking about are, are capital intensive, which is why you know, my business coming out from finance was yeah. a recon- recognition that you are fairly, you know, either tax equity or debt or equity heavy around the need for financings, right? And so understanding mm-hmm. financing, especially at that scale, is is, is helpful. So yeah, again, you need to be agile. You need to kind of understand not yeah. only you know those kind of ones, but your own individual business model. So. From a certification standpoint, I'm not sure that there's one certification I could recommend. More on the context of looking, and and we generally we just hired a VP of finance, but his background again, you know, he worked at GE for a number of years in, in finance, but then he also then went to Ford. He then also went to asset management, and then worked for a number of waste smaller waste businesses. You know, and and similarly, right? My my career has generally been in finance, but a lot of different subsections yeah. of finance. Mm-hmm. And I think you need that type of you know well roundedness, and, and that's generally what we look for at our Duro. Um, yeah. Is the well rounded mindset? Can you critically think to address the mm-hmm. problems? Yeah. Because you know, and, and can you think big? Yeah, you, know, you can't. As you kind of said you can't really you know fix the problem. You know, with one or two tires at a time, you need to have an, an idea that's big enough to address global issues, but also bring them back to how do we get there, right? Um, uh, And build a business around them. So from a career standpoint, it's really, can you tell your story, right? And how it ties together and how you critically think about problem solving. Um, And then backed up with actions. I mean, have you you done it? Lastly, we always ask our guests this, uh, do you have any words of advice or counsel for anyone looking to grow their career, go into it? Beyond, not not a specific certification. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. No, I, as I said, there, there, there's so many pathways in. I, I think it's really yeah, be passionate about it. If you want to be here, you'll you'll find a way to get there, and don't stop. I, I think there's so many ways to figure out sustainability, and but do it in your own way, right? I mean, if you're into fashion, figure out how you can make fashion more sustainable. You know, if you, you I know, I, I particularly was into waste and don't ask me why waste, <laughs> but you know, I, I was into materials. So I, I you know in, in that context, so figure it out. Some people are into power, right? Some people 
go with your passion. Go with your passion. And, and you know, try to always find the the connection between your sustainability and, and what you're passionate about. And and you know, I think it will hold you in good stead as you as you look to and explain your critical thinking to get into the to that career, especially if you're trying to transition. Thank you so much for that, Ian Lowe, founder and CEO of Aduru. Appreciate being with you. Thank you for listening to Renewables Going Mainstream with Brand Hanley and Christian Crown, partners at Renew Executive Search. We hope you enjoyed hearing our renewable industry experts' stories as much as we enjoyed recording them. If you want to learn more about this fast-growing sector and learn how you can become more involved, please subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brand, Christian, Renewable Executive Search and the booming renewables industry, visit www.goforrenew.com. That's www.go4renew.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode of Renewables Going Mainstream.